Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc slash podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey folks, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. Joining me today is Daniel Burrows, co-founder and CEO of Truck Labs. Welcome, Daniel. Great to be with you and great to talk to you again. Yeah, you know, it's it's great to have you join. You know, before we came on here, we were chatting about how I think we, we originally met back in 2016, 17, as you were getting the the business off the ground and a lot has changed since then and uh, i'd love for you to just give us the 90 seconds on what you and the team are building at truck labs that's right we i came and visited out in chattanooga you guys came with a friend of mutual friend of ours andrew smith who now runs outrider another logistics company but but yeah we were the story is is, is similar to back then we are building sort of Hardware and software, which improves your bottom line in the trucking industry through lowering your fuel bill, and in so doing, has a natural impact on your emissions. So the idea is let's focus on the dollars and then do and then do well for the environment alongside that. And I think that that was a message that worked well in 2016, 17, 18, 19. Now people are saying, let's start with the emissions and work backwards to the business case. But uh, we really, we started, and as a company, we're really focused on the ROI, the total cost of ownership and building products that help our customers improve their bottom line, but have this sort of side benefit on, on their mission. So the company's called Truck Labs. Our flagship technology is called the Truck Wings. You might've seen it. It's the deployable fairing that sits between the cab and the trailer. So not the truck wing, not, not the trailer tail, which goes on the back of the trailer but a, a aerodynamic device that sits between the cab and the trailer called the truck wings. And, you know, what's, what's your story here? How did you make it into the world of, you know, trucking technology, sustainability? What, what led you to, you know, going on this mission and building truck labs? Yeah, if you can hear, I've got a slight accent, which I'm losing rapidly. I'm English originally, but I was actually born in Baltimore and I've always been fascinated by logistics and trucking and what, like, and how transportation works and how businesses work. And I think it's, it's such a core part of our economy that doesn't get as much attention as it deserves. And so when I, I did physics and then did research in physics as my undergraduate studied climate change, I did climate modeling. And I realized that yes, we were making a big experiment with the amount of carbon we were releasing, but the way to solve that was making businesses more efficient and make, you know, improving their bottom line rather than, you know, just asking everybody to lower their quality of living, you know, together. It's, that would ne never felt to me like a sustainable solution. So I jumped out of physics and went into, I went into energy consulting, then went, did some venture investing, then did an MBA. And I tried to combine these sort of physics, logistics, you know, investing in, and build a company focused on on, on that part of logistics of improving the bottom line through, through lowering emissions. Really as, as my way, I thought, I thought I could personally have the biggest impact on climate 
on, on, on carbon emissions. And that's really why I started the company. And, you know, so kind of you, you mentioned truck wings, uh, your, your flagship technology. Could you give us the, the one-on-one, what it is, how it works, the benefits that your customers are experiencing from it? Yeah, it's super simple and it's a super old problem. We've not come up with a problem. I mean, since the 1960s, trucks have been designed with a cab and a trailer so you can swap your trailer, obviously. And so that's hugely efficient in terms of loading, unloading, and, and keeping the powertrain on the road. But what it means is that you have this, this junction between the truck and the trailer and at low speeds, you need to turn. And so you turn through this area, the tractor trailer gap, we call it. And that gap when you're at highway speeds is a really big driver of, of, of additional turbulence and drag on the truck. It's, it sucks the truck backwards and what that, what, what that means is, you know, you think of these trucks as super heavy, you know, 80,000 pounds, but, but actually once you're up at highway speeds, Newton law, Newton's laws tell us that it wants to continue going unless something slows it down. And that thing that's slowing it down is air. So two thirds of your fuel is spent overcoming aerodynamic drag on your truck, not on rolling resistance, aerodynamics. And, and so I was like, okay, aerodynamics really matters. Because also trucks spend most of their time at highway speeds. So what the truck wings does is it solves that additional drag caused in the tractor trailer gap. And how we solved it, we looked at Andrew Smith's company, we already mentioned him earlier today, the, the, the trailer tail, and we said, okay, how can we um, improve on that in order to make it fully automated, no driver involvement required, super durable. And so we came up with a couple of things. One is it only attaches to the tractor. No trailer modifications required. It has sensors and an autonomous control system. So when the truck comes up to speed, these panels fold out, close the tractor trailer gap. And when you slow down, it folds away. So you get this kind of like bullet train performance at highway on the highway. And you get all the maneuverability at lower speeds without having any impact on your driver. It saves around three to 6% on fuel, 6% on CNG trucks, day cabs with big gaps, more like 3% on sleepers that have a tighter in gap. And, 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 you know, we're then half a billion miles now across the U S on the truck wings. And, you know, are you able to share kind of customer profiles, how they have kind of implemented truck wings and how they now think about this being kind of this default that they always expect or, or they want to have their fleet outfitted with, or, or equally the trucks that haul their goods being outfit with. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big thing. And well, there's two things driving it right now, right? One is diesel is through the roof and everybody's like, what can I do today about my diesel price? I'd love to move to over the road electric or something else potentially in the future, but it's not, you know, it's not perhaps like easily viable today. There's a lot of charging infrastructure and everything needed. So. We, we sit here ready to help fleets, you know, who want to, want to make a difference, both their fuel bill and their emissions. And I think the new scope three emission requirements are having customers ask their shippers, you know, what, it, what are you doing for emissions? How are you leading in this area? And so one, one, one example we have is Ryder has been a great partner of ours. They've, they've been public about in their sustainability report about what truck wings have done for them. And you can download a case study on, on truckwings.com about that. But what they looked at was, you know, let's, let's prove it out ourselves in our operations with our drivers. So they took 60 trucks, 
and ran a great test. 30 of them had the truck wings, 30 did not. And they saw over 4% fuel savings. They saw great feedback from the drivers and they saw no maintenance issues. And so this is something that pays for itself in less than 12 months and, and really, you know, can make a difference today. And Ryder was saying that, you know, it's, yes, they're interested in it, but actually they are also being driven to it because their customers were asking for it. And I think that's when, you know, when these technologies start growing faster is when, when people are asking, you know, people find their customers asking for it. And, you know, out of curiosity, we mentioned trailer tail before and for, for our listeners, they're, they're likely familiar with it. I mean, you know, even my, my mom's, you know, pointed the, the tail, you know, extending off the back of a trailer when we've been on the highway. How does this compare to, 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 to that? It feels quite complimentary, but I, I'd be curious how, how that kind of complement plays out. Yeah. They both work on aerodynamics. I would, I think that the trailer, the trailer tail has had some challenges in the market around durability and, and damage. And I think part of that is that it's the, it's the back of the trailer. And so it's the first thing that gets hit. We're, we're, we've designed the truck wings to tuck in flat on the back middle up high on the cab. So we're not by the road. We're not the first thing gets hit if you back into something. And so we're actually in a very safe spot. If you think about where you put your satellite dish or other things or, or your APU unit, you put it high up back in the middle of the cab and that's where the truck wings are. And we, you know, that's a much, much safer spot in trucking than you know, maybe things by the wheels or the, or the back of the trailer. The other thing is, is that we you buy one of our units per tractor, not one per trailer. So if you're running a lot of trailers compared to tractors, you know, sometimes your tractor trailer ratio is one to three or one to five or one to nine even, you only need to buy one truck wing to have the impact of many trailer tails. But, you know, they both work. They both have great science. They both improve the aerodynamics and some fleets run both. And uh, it's actually, if you improve the airflow in the tractor trailer gap, you actually get more performance out of your trailer tail as well. So as you saw that areas, you actually get compound benefits. So, and then finally, I would see one final difference is ours is a fully automated system. So the driver doesn't have to do anything. And that I think has always been a challenge for fleets to overcome is getting driver buy-in to, to manipulate the wings. And, you know, you've launched a, a new software product called Trip Dynamics. So what does that bring to fleets? Yeah. I mean, it's what it brings is, so we've, we've, we spent a lot of time thinking about fuel economy, right. And measuring relatively small improvements of 5% of fuel economy and how to scientifically do that in a way that fleets can understand and see in their data. And so what we've done in that is we've run every type of fuel economy test you can imagine. And what we found is that there are sort of six major factors, which, in, which, which influence your fuel economy, weather, load, terrain, driver, equipment, and traffic. And what we've done is we put all those variables into a big data lake and out of that data lake, we, we trained on the variable of fuel economy. And this is called the fuel factors model. Okay. And what this fuel factors model does is it, is it tells us really for the first time, what is actually driving a fuel economy? Why did your fuel economy go from six to eight to 6.5 to seven week on week? And once you can measure why you can start to manage it. So you can say, how well is my driver doing? How well is my equipment doing? 
what routes are driving what fuel economy? How much is the load impacting this? And once you understand what's driving your fuel economy on a per load basis, you can start managing it. And Trip Dynamics is the way to manage it on drivers. So it's a gamified platform for drivers to compete against each other and to see how well they did versus the hand they were dealt. So rather than, hey, is 7.5 good or bad? We can tell you what they, what they should have got and how well they did with the hand they were dealt. And so Trip Dynamics is the first product that's built on this platform, this analytics platform called Fuel Factors. And Fuel Factors is the, you know, the CFO's best friend in trucking because we can let him measure or her measure any, what is the performance of, of the assets and the ROI on any potential investment. And, you know, I, I'm going to shift gears a, a little bit here and I want to talk a, a bit about business building. The product and, and, and business you set out to build is 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 no easy feat, right? You, you have this big, bold goal, which is awesome to bring, you know, greater sustainability into North American trucking. Is there a, a hard-earned lesson as you reflect thus far in your journey related to selling technology to fleets you could share with some of the entrepreneurs listening on? Yeah. I mean, you and I spoke in 2016. If you look at my projections in 2016, I think we'd IPO'd by now. And I was in a, on a yacht in the Caribbean. And that is, you know, hardware takes time to get it right. You know, we took three years to get to our first million miles of driving. That was three years of, of putting stuff out, testing it, hearing from customers, hearing from drivers, reimagining it, improving it. We just launched this year our Gen 3 product. And we did, you know, over, we, we had to do OEM level shaker plate testing on it. And, 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 you know, we, we had to fold all these hundreds of millions of miles of driving experience back into it. And so that innovation loop was longer than I expected, but at the end of it, we now have this, you know, confident engineering platform. And so I think, and now, now the revenue, you know, tripling this year and we're going to triple again next year in revenue. And, and a lot of that's pre-sold now. And, you know, that, that now is building off a firm, strong foundation of, of a product that's ready to scale. And I think the thing that I learned is you definitely shouldn't scale until your product is, is, is ready. And that sometimes takes longer than you expect. And so, you know, being careful with how much money you raise, when you raise it, how big you make the team, making sure that you're being prudent because capital is, is you know, right now it's more scarce than ever, but historically, even when it wasn't scarce, raising money, isn't the problem. The problem is returning it at a great return to our investors. And so I think hardware companies can get very capital intensive very quickly. And I think keeping in mind that it's, it's, uh, while it feels great to have money in the bank uh, and raise lots of money. You know, then you've got to set your sights higher and higher to return that with a, with a bigger, bigger multiple. And so being careful and prudent with capital, even when capital is available, I think is, is really, really important. And, you know, with that, you, you mentioned hardware, is there anything specific founders should be thinking about as they're considering businesses that, that have a hardware element and, and as you've identified, like there, there's a physicality to supply chain problems and you know a lot of times that requires some piece of hardware whether that's the end product solution or whether that's a means to an end 
Yeah, it's 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 different to software, right? So it's good to get in investors who understand that. I mean, our product is roughly five thousand dollars, right? Roughly. So when we sell a hundred of them, uh, that's half a million dollars of revenue. We do that, you know, that so you can get to good revenue numbers pretty quickly. Whereas a software subscription, if you're, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 bucks a truck a month or something, it takes a lot longer to get to those numbers, but your margin's different and your valuation is multiple on your, on your SaaS revenue is much higher. So it's, it's, it's different in hardware. You've got to focus on, on building, you know, the, the top line, but also the gross margin line. I think almost in, in the gross margin line is more important in hardware than it is in software. I mean, software, you just care about top line growth really because your costs scale so easily. In hardware, I think you've got to, from an early stage, think about your gross margin and, and how much, how much, you know, what, what, what you can build on that because top line growth is not that valued by investors. What they're looking for is, is actually how much cash can you generate at the end of the day? I mean, that's eventually how all businesses are measured. Yeah. So I think hardware investors have to think earlier about gross margins. And I think that's healthy. I think that selling a lot of hardware at, at cost can be very challenging. You know, if you have a recall, if things take longer, warranty costs, all these sort of things. I think that if you're a hardware founder, you've got to take a really hard look at, at, at your gross margins and make, making sure you're building a product that's sustainable for your, your customers and, and for you as, as a company and for your investors ultimately. Yeah, you know, and I think in in an environment where you're seeing meaningful softening across the venture environment, it is interesting to see investors return to this focus around margin, right, rather than sheer top line. And sometimes, you know, I've even found myself in 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 discussions or or at board meetings, you know, bringing attention to perhaps margins that, that are not as strong as, as they should be because of focus on, on growth and having to kind of harmonize that, that balance, right? Growing at the right thinking margin. About, how are you thinking about that? I mean, capital used to basically be, you know, if you can raise a 50 times revenue, then capital is basically free, I guess. But now I think with the softening, it's a different world. So how are you advising the companies that you're on the board of and your, in your, your portfolio around that? So it it really depends on the stage you're at and where where you are in your journey. And for those businesses that have a an an aspect where they might be managing freight, which a a, a handful of our our companies do, it's to not be seduced and to rethink earlier this year what the KPIs actually look like either to the next milestone of funding or you know a, a couple of them are you know considering hey like are have we finished raising capital like do we have enough escape velocity and in both of those instances being able to recognize and understand while growth is important how you're able to put up guardrails as you think about sales and winning business and focusing in on margin and and that ends up you know requiring some collaboration with your finance function right in in order to ensure that we're not taking on bad customers that we're ultimately going to regret. But in the case that you might already have those customers is to go through with a fine-tooth comb and understand the margin profile of, of every customer and account. And 
in many cases, you need to raise pricing and, and have that conversation, which isn't a pleasant conversation, but it's a necessary one. And that might lead to churn and ensuring that all the stakeholders around the table recognize that or not upset by that because it's, it's a short-term thing that you're doing for your long-term benefit. For those businesses that are earlier on, it's recognizing and helping them understand while you need to grow, there also needs to be a very clear and intentional approach as to how you're driving margin. And I actually had a, a, a business that we were very early investors in actually refined their business model a couple cycles through the course of this year already in order to ensure that they're showing up with the right type of economic profile and not over-indexing on growth. And we, we have other models, right, where you might be willing to taper margin because you can win a key account and expand faster. There's certain strategies like that that absolutely make sense, but it's important to be thoughtful as to when you use that. That shouldn't just be a blunt weapon or, or, or tool across every situation. Yeah, I think I think I really like the way you talk about how one size doesn't fit all because it really is does change by the business. We're trying to right now get cash flow positive and and you know that's and then write our own ticket on it. And I think different companies are in different phases of that growth. And, but eventually companies are valued on a stream of free cash flows. Yeah. Eventually. You know, maybe 10, 20 years away, but eventually you got to get back to that. So, you know, I'd be curious, what's your opinion on the debate in in trucking diesel versus electric versus hydrogen versus whatever else people are are talking about? Because you have this unique skill set, education, vantage point to opine on this. Yeah, I can opine on this. It's complicated. I, but, you know, firstly, I would say we're not ready for, you know, we just to, just to set the scene, I mean, your audience will be well first in this, but 97% of trucks in the U.S. are, are diesel, 3% of natural gas, and everything else is a, is a de minimis amount. We're building 400,000 or so, you know, class A tractors a year that are diesel right now, a year. And so I think, first of all, I think it's important for people to realize that this transition is not going to be a major part of our supply chain for the next, you know, at least five years. And then even then, if you start to be a large percentage of new trucks, they'll phase through, you know, trucks live for 10 years. So we're going to have diesel trucks on the road for a long time. And I think that, I think it's very clear to people who are in trucking and very unclear to people who are not in trucking and kind of expect us to switch to flip faster as they do in things they're used to, like technology, phones, you know, things just over turn over much faster. So, so for that reason. I went into aerodynamics and, and things like fuel factors and trip dynamics because I'm investing in the platform of the truck. We don't care what the fuel source is. We make electric trucks drive further, and that's really important for range and, and or getting the same with a lower battery weight, for example, less battery cost. For diesel, you know, we help the emissions, but also lower your cost per mile. So our value proposition for aerodynamics or, or the fuel factor stuff changes but it applies to both. And I did that because I wanted to make an impact today. We spend as a country, well, now $150 billion a year on diesel. And, you know, we, you know, I, I wanted to have a dent this year, next year in that. I think that in terms of the technologies, diesel works really well. It's a very dense fuel source. It's got a national charging infrastructure already built. 
it's, it's a hard incumbent to overcome. Electric batteries just don't have the energy density. They're around 60 times less energy dense than diesel. Now they're twice as efficient as motors. So maybe that moves to 30 times difference, but that, you know, has massive implications on, on range and charging infrastructure and other things that we need to overcome. So, so don't hear from me that I'm, I'm, I'm not a believer in these technologies. They have a lot of applications. Even today, you're seeing great work in some of the ports some the drainage operations, things like that, city routes, certainly in non-class eight, lots of electric and hydrogen, other option, alt fuels. Um, particularly in over the road trucking, it's going to come. I think it's going to be a little while. And I, I want to be part of laying the foundation for that old fuels future by improving them, the foundation of the truck. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I certainly appreciate and, and, and respect that perspective. I think, I think there's a lot more here and it, it is quite nuanced and, and there's a long-term thinking one must employ and uh, equally not to poo-poo or, or, or downplay the, the urgency of, of decarbonizing, you know, meaningful parts of our economy. But kind of to wrap up here, you know, Daniel, truck labs aside, truck wings aside, if you had to go build a business in supply chain today, what, what would it be? What would you be focused on? Wow. There's so much going on in supply <laughs> chain. You know, I, I, I just think it's, well, your listeners, it will be, you know, there's so, so much happening from, from, you know, and there's so much also, so many problems caused by the dislocation of the last five years. If you look at, if you go back the tariffs that came in and went away quickly, then COVID dislocations, now this inflation, this, this hard, hard inflation and hard to get parts and, and commodity prices. It's just a really dynamic place to work and super hard as well to build. I think that one of my other passions is crypto. I hope that doesn't make half your audience hate me. It's <laughs> going through another crypto winter right now, which has happened many times over the last few years. I'm not interested in the NFT, you know, kind of like get rich quick crypto scheme. I'm interested where crypto can make a real difference. And I think that blockchain technology can help build in the supply chain in a way that I haven't seen anybody building yet. And so a quick, quick example, if you give me a second. So we were re recently building truck wings for a particular large customer, which required a particular color pigment. We had dual sourced that through actually th three different U.S. powder coating suppliers. And we, so we felt confident we had supply. Turns out that all those three providers had one single source of a particular factory in China for that pigment color. So COVID hit, that factory got shut down. Our triple source turned into zero source and we couldn't build the truck. And we weren't the only one. The OEM struggled to find that color and others. And, and I think that there's something that blockchain could solve there where you could verify that you have true dual sourcing and verify the steps along the supply chain without your supplier having to divulge their sub-suppliers. Nobody wants to give up all their sub-suppliers. But you could have, you could, for example, use the hash function to, to verify that it's different to the other supplier. And those sort of things where you can verify specific pieces of information around making sure you're truly dual-sourced or child labor or all the all, or which materials or organic components, you can certify things without having to, you can choose what information to divulge to which people in the supply chain. And that in a distributed ledger blockchain technology could be a really 
great company. I'd love to see somebody build that. I don't know if you've seen anybody try and do it, but I think I'm trying to find real applications for blockchain rather than, you know, crypto kittens or whatever I think would be super exciting. Awesome. I love to hear that. And, you know, there, there, there are things in this world that will go in and out of vogue and for some they'll enjoy it and appreciate it more than others. So, you know, I think being curious and, and continuing to be curious, uh, about things like Web3 is, is certainly important. But with that, Dan, great to have you on here. It's great to catch up after several years and hear the Truck Lab story and how far you all have come as a team. Perfect. Great to spend time with you. And thanks again for the opportunity. And hope to see you in Chattanooga or San Francisco or somewhere else soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.